if it's too hard to manage your own keys, which it, even today it, it is too hard for people, that we wind up in a world in which just a few global custodians hold all the keys. And that's unlikely to result in the Bitcoin that we know and love and want to see for the world. So it's very important that a sizable percentage of Bitcoin users are controlling their own keys. Hello there, how are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into the interview today, I have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online business banking for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, of course, I am a BCB customer too now. Now, they heard about the difficulty I was having finding a new bank, and they understand Bitcoin. So when they reached out to me and said, Pete, you should move your account over to BCB Group, I was like, sure. Sounds absolutely perfect for me. And I could not be happier with the service they have provided me. Now, BCB clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe. But they are now expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have also had trouble with your banking, and if you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. Now if you want to find out, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Next up, it is Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now listen, in Bitcoin, we have this saying, right? Not your keys, not your Bitcoin. So if you're a Bitcoin holder, it is your money and it's time for you to own it. And if you're not storing your Bitcoin on a hardware wallet, then you are trusting somebody else. I took control of my Bitcoin back in 2017 when I bought my first Ledger Nano S and I'm still using that same device today. Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. Now, if you would like to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to ledger.com which is ledger.com. Next up, it is BlockFi. Now, BlockFi bridges the world of traditional finance and Bitcoin, empowering you for this future financial world. And for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, then the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides the easiest way for you to earn Bitcoin. There are no fees to use this card, no annual fee, and no foreign transaction fees. And you can get 3.5% back in Bitcoin on all purchases in your first three months and then 1.5% back forever after. And also, for every dollar you spend over 50000 annually, you can get 2% back in Bitcoin. Now, if you want to stack stats with BlockFi, then please head over to BlockFi.com for more information and to find out the terms and conditions. This is BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Also, today we have Casa. Whether you've just bought your first SaaS or you're a Bitcoin pro, you need to protect your investment. And the only person who should be in charge of your Bitcoin and your financial freedom is you. And securing your Bitcoin does not have to be difficult because Casa makes it so easy. Getting started is super simple. You just download the app, create an account, and enjoy a 30-day free trial. And if you need some assistance, it is just a click or phone call away. Casa has best-in-class customer support and free online resources to support you. Now, 12 Canada recently showed us the importance of self-custody and taking control of your money when they froze protesters' finances with no warning. 
Take your financial freedom into your hands by self-custodying your Bitcoin so it can never be frozen without your consent. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Hi, Steve. Peter? Finally. Absolutely. Finally. Uh, you just reminded me that we met here about three years ago. Yeah, at a dinner here in San Francisco. Organized by Sooner, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, listen, um, it's great to finally get you on the podcast. There is a lot to talk about because in that collection of companies you're part on, part of, there's a lot happening. Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing lots of announcements. Um, so one of the things me and Danny were talking about beforehand was trying to understand the, the structure of it all because you have Cash App, Spiral, Block, Tidal. Tidal. Is in there. How, how would you explain this as like a structure of companies? I know you're specifically at Spiral, which was Square Crypto. Right. How do you explain it as a structure? What's like the mission here? Sure. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm Steve Lee. I, I lead Spiral, formerly known as Square Crypto, which is part of Block, formerly known as Square. Um, so now Block is the overall company. Square still exists, and it's the square that most people know. Point-of-sale terminals that you might see at a cafe or millions of other merchants. Um, that's unchanged. There's Cash App, which is another you know very large business that your listeners are going to know. Um, that that's unchanged. Um, then there's several new business units. One is Title. Uh, about a year ago, I think it was the the company acquired um, Title for for music. Um, another new business unit, as of I think in the summer, is TBD. Um, which Mike, Mike Brock leads, and we can talk a little bit about that as well. Is that actually called TBD, or is it waiting for a name? It, it It's literally called TBD, and I am unaware of any... I, I think it's always going to be TBD. There's a lot of fun puns. and. Did that come out of the fact that like you couldn't come up with a name, so like on a form or on a thing it was TBD and they just stuck with it? Yeah, I'm not sure the actual genesis story, but knowing Mike and Jack, that's... It's probably it. it yeah, and then the fifth block is... Um, is Spiral, which, which is what I lead, um, which it's been around for two and a half years now. And we're, we're a unique organization because we we focus on, we don't work on any block products or businesses. We focus on, we're really team Bitcoin. We focus on open source development for Bitcoin. And we not only, uh, we, we just produce public goods, not only helping block, but we help other companies and other open source projects in the space. Essentially a nonprofit. Essentially a nonprofit. Yeah, we generate no revenue, have no plans to generate revenue. Um, and and really our primary thrust is around improving the developer experience with better development tools just to enable builders all over the world. Almost like this is Block's contribution to open source development. Some people fund devs, you have a unit. That exactly. It you know, it parallels would be like it's somewhat similar to Chain Code Labs. Yeah. Um Brink. Blockstream and uh, Brink. Blockstream, you know, is is an example of a company that's done a lot of open source contribution. Um but uh yeah, I mean this I think the strategy for the company is not only just to give back, but already um just this week Cash App announced um you know, Lightning services. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, which is super exciting, and it's the um, and it uses LDK Lightning Develop- Development Kit, which is the primary project that our our team at Spiral works on. How big is the team at Spiral? Uh, right now, we have four developers, a couple other PMs that do similar type of work as me, and then one one creative person. And we're hiring 
three more engineers. So any any listeners looking for an engineering job at open source Bitcoin, um, reach out to we're, Steve we're, Lee. We're hiring. Yep. Where does uh, Connor Oakers fit into all this? He's one of the PMs. So he's a software engineer. I mean, he has uh-huh. software engineering experience. But on our team, he's um, in a PM role, which is really kind of like quarterback, uh, like a decentralized PM, because we're you know we're we're not. Um, I mean, you know, we fulfill um, like a coordination role in the ecosystem uh, with a sort of light touch, decentralized spirit and fashion. Um, Connor and I have become friends over the last four weeks. Yeah, I, I, I think I put the two of you together. You did, yeah. You said uh, Connor's a ex-footballer, football fan, interested in your project. And uh, I went down to London, went down with my son to watch a football match. I can't remember who we went to see. I think it's Liverpool Tottenham, and uh, met him in a cafe beforehand. Him and his mate Abs, and uh, I didn't realise he he played football. He actually played professional football, yeah. And he's now signed for Real Bedford. He's going to be paid in Bitcoin. It's pretty awesome. But he hasn't played yet because <laughs> he's uh, so he's going to get paid in Bitcoin from two different jobs. He is. So a lot of a lot of people are wondering when are people going to start getting paid in Bitcoin. But Connor will be paid two different jobs. But if he starts playing, he keeps whinging about his fitness. <laughs> And uh, I'm not really sure. He keeps sending me this one YouTube video of this goal he scored. And I'm wondering if that's like the only thing he's ever done. (laughs) Sorry, Connor, I love you, man. Uh, Is he worried about younger, younger, the younger players? Well, I can't, I can't, yeah, but I can't really rag on him for age because I'm a a lot older than him. (laughs) Uh, Great guy though. So thank you for introducing me. Um, Where does Tidal fit into all this? That's the bit we can't figure out. Uh, Well, we thought it might be that it's a great way to tap in to the youth and culture to bring them into Bitcoin, maybe. We do, but we can't figure it out. Or is it just a just a bought because it's fun? Yeah. Well, first of all, I should say I, I can't speak. I yeah. actually don't even know the answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I don't know the answer. So I can only speculate along with you. Um, I guess what I can say, I think it, it matters to the company about economic empowerment that is the mission statement of the company it's always been which is one reason why bitcoin's such a natural fit for the company um, because of you know bitcoin's special properties around economic empowerment with title i think with um, artists um, there's there's definitely an interest in the company in helping economic empowerment with artists and breaking down some of the historical challenges so i think that's probably part of the the thinking um, and then uh, I think you know NFTs um, could be potentially interesting for for that as well. Um, we'll come back to NFTs. Um, so, do you see there's a chance that Lightning may be integrated into Tidal to to support creators and artists? Uh, we'll see. I mean, like right now, the, the most. That's a yes. <laughs> no, honestly, I don't know. I mean, let's first just get it working. Yeah. The bread and butter Cash App, um, as well as one thing we should talk about is. Um, blocks hardware wallet and their the non-custodial software wallet that'll come along with that. I mean, I think those are like clearly starting points for for Lightning. What's really interesting is that um, Bitcoin itself uh, very much started out as command line. It's for nerds to be able to move digital information around. Uh, I played with a Back when I looked at Monero, was it called a CLI or you'll know you were t- command line interface? Yeah, yeah, I played with one of those. I had no idea what I was doing. Somehow I didn't lose the Monero I bought. But over time, we've got these kind of better products, better interfaces, and then the suite of companies here just levels up. This is a Silicon kind of Silicon Valley based group of companies 
the suite of products that feel like the kind of products you would expect from coming out of this area and helps take this to mainstream users without having to be kind of nerdy understand you know the intricacies of bitcoin um i i think i think that's true but i also think it doesn't require large tech companies to deliver better experiences like that as well um like i'll give one example uh speaking to clis like what three years ago i think it was um Lightning Jewel was a project by Will O'Baron on uh, where you could do sort of one-click Bitcoin payments over Lightning in a browser. So it, it, it made for a cool demo. The challenge, though, of course, you had to install LND or a, a Lightning node on your laptop, use the CLI, get it configured, you know, figure out who, which nodes to peer with and connect to them. You had to do all that upfront work just to be able to one-click payment in the browser. Um, we're now moving to a future where with Lightning Development Kit, the project that my team works on, can actually run uh, Lightning Node in the browser. And we there's like a alpha version of that working right now. But what that'll enable, just way easier onboarding for new users. You still get the one-click payments of Bitcoin in the browser, um, and you, but the wallet can be embedded inside the browser itself. And that doesn't and that doesn't you know there's there's little you know small projects upstart projects um, such as Albi and Impervious that are enabling that. So it doesn't require the Googles and uh, Facebooks of the world to, to do that. But the, for those people who don't understand, just trying to explain what a development kit is, because not everyone will be a techie or worked in the tech space. I mean, I understand, but... Yeah, so, um, I mean, Lightning Network, and you know, as a technology, enables users to have instant payments, low fees, etc. Scales Bitcoin to a lot more people. Um, the Lightning Development Kit is a is intended for developers, not for end users, but it enables them to create new wallets, new applications that have Lightning enabled and with 10x less effort than they've had to do in the past. So I think a big challenge in the space now, it's really, really hard to build a Bitcoin application. The developer user experience is poor. So our hope is that we can make it far, far easier. And so what the end users will see are more choices and better user experiences in their in their wallet and and how do you decide what to build in the development kit is it you do you as a team do you brainstorm ideas a couple things um part part of it is just driven by the lightning spec itself which is you know consensus driven among a bunch of developers from different um parts of the ecosystem um but also myself uh, and others have reached out to over 50 wallets and wallet developers to ask them what you know what are their needs what are the, you know sort of typical product management and through you know th that helps drive a lot of prioritization as well so one of the things i mean i mentioned to you this before and i'm, I'm not ever going to ask you to speak for jack um, but there's been lots of announcements over this last year or so um and watching his dedication to bitcoin has been fascinating and seeing these companies build up has been absolutely fascinating. It's, it's great that somebody so high profile is really dedicated to the Bitcoin cause. Um, but I want to talk about some of those announcements because there, there's been a proponent of Bitcoin and then there's been real skin in the game to actually help develop out the ecosystem. Um, and one of those things was the hardware wallet, mm -hmm. which I don't know anything about. But I'm super excited about because I'm imagining this is going to be something not only is technically very cool, but will feel like and look like a consumer product uh, more so than maybe some of the other wallets. Uh, how much can you talk about 
the hardware wallet and, and and why develop another one because cold card's pretty good you have to be quite techy ledger's very useful it obviously supports a bunch of other assets um blockstream have a hardware wallet um trezor has a wallet and there's lots of other new players what what new what is it new that this product will be bringing um well i'd say really high level we're still really early in in creating great product experiences um you know, I've used Trezors and Ledgers and Cold Cards, and all three are great products. They've all demonstrated big improvements over five, six, seven, eight years. Um, but I think there's a lot, a lot of room to improve even more, more so. Um, because even today, uh, an experience where you have a customer has to um, write down 24 words and then figure out what to do with it, that sort of opens up a Pandora's box of like secure. Peace, you know, it doesn't really create peace of mind for customers. Like, what do I do with this? Do I put it in the safe, a bank deposit? Do I split it up in multiple locations? It just opens up all the, all these questions. Um, with the block hardware wallet, it's it's framed as a hardware wallet, but it also has a software wallet that comes along with it. And and the current product thinking, not a final decision, but that it would be a two of three multi-sig wallet, which some of your listeners are or most of your listeners are probably familiar with, but most wallets don't come out of the box. By default, we're even required to be two of three, and that that's that's the, the thinking with with this wallet. And and th- there will be some people listening who won't understand what multi-sig is. Just give a sure quick introduction. So, um, I mean, the user benefits. Number one, you you don't need to write down twenty four words when you're setting up your your hardware wallet. So the the onboarding experience that when you're set buy this new hardware wallet and set it up, it should be much much simpler. Um, if you happen to lose your hardware wallet, you have not lost your Bitcoin because you only need to, there's three different private keys um, that are securing your Bitcoin, not just one. So if you do lose your hardware wallet or it malfunctions somehow, you have two other keys uh, that you can recover from. The other two keys would be stored one on your phone and one in the cloud with block, so with a, a, a third party. So you still have you have control as the customer of, of your Bitcoin because you have two of the three keys and two of the three need to be used to, to spend your Bitcoin. And and if you did lose one key, you would be able to rotate that out with the other two? Correct. And, and then um, it also, that configuration has a nice property that you could have one wallet that is both your savings and your spending wallet. So from your phone, your experience pay- making payments like lightning payments from a wallet would be very similar to Cash App or Venmo or sort of a one-click experience. You don't even have to know about keys, multi-sig, any of these technical details, but under the hood, one key on your phone and one key in the cloud is doing the is signing the transaction for the payment. But you as a user, you just click a button, maybe do like a touch ID or face ID to, to confirm it, and that's it. Um, but if someone were to... Um, access your phone they can't drain your savings account because the server the block server um, actually puts it like a uh, limit on spending with those two keys okay so the only way you can spend all your savings is, ah. is if you go get your hardware wallet out of your safe or bank safe deposit box or some less accessible but more secure location so it's a beautiful mix of you still get all the benefits of self-sovereignty you're in control your bitcoin uh, block or no third party is, you get the security of this hardware wallet that's tucked away and you're not carrying around with you. 
but you get the ease of use for payments as you come to expect from any kind of mobile app on your phone. Uh, would it be a single, would it still be two essentially wallets though? You would move or it would, it just would be a, a single wallet. So it, that's another, it just controls a spend. So maybe there's like a, what would it be a daily limit or something or other? Yeah, to be decided. To, to be decided, but you can imagine many many different things. I mean, it could be there would be defaults, and maybe the user can overwrite it. Who who knows? I mean, that that team will figure that out. But say if you have ten million dollars of Bitcoin <laughs> in your wallet, but you have a daily spend limit of two thousand dollars, but if you had to go and buy something big like a house, and you needed to spend a million dollars of Bitcoin, you would have to go and get that hardware wallet to sign that one. That's correct. Okay, there is still that would make me think of one thing. Just as somebody who has, I use Casa for example, they're multi sig. Um, you still have, if someone gets into it, the ability to maybe see, even if they can't spend, they can see the balance. With, um, be, because it's multi-sig? Well, no, because the, the wallet will have a balance. So you might not be able to spend oh, without it, the hardware wallet, right. but, but it would show I you see. the balance. If, they, if, they, if someone accesses your phone. Yeah, so one of the things, the benefits of two wallets, say, for, that I have is like having Casa and then a separate one is... I actually withdraw from Carter into the separate one, and the separate one never has a particularly high balance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a good point. That, although that's a detail that could be resolved. I mean, it could be a, a hidden balance within the app. You, have, yeah. you might have to go through you know multiple steps to, to to view it. Maybe even as a user, maybe there could be an option to disable viewing that number from your phone. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that's an important topic that needs to be or issue that needs to be addressed. But I think it could be addressed. Even if you have a single, like un, under the hood, it's a single wallet. Because the, the 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 customer might not even actually know there's only one wallet <laughs> under the hood. They might they might even perceive it as two wallets. But I think it's important to have a single wallet under under the hood because it allows Bitcoin to scale better. Um, it, it it's a problem if each each person has to have mul- multiple wallets. I mean, it's a problem for both them as an individual because they're managing two different wallets and under the hood. UTXOs and things like that, um, and then, but it's, it from a network overall system perspective, it also scales better if there's just one wallet per person. But it's quite neat because one of the things when you talk when you try and explain multi-sig to people, it's like, well, yeah, because with a single signature, you have you know one private key, but when you and, you know if you have a multi-sig, you have to have two of two or three, and already they're like, what do you want about? Yeah, this is like. You send small amounts from your phone, and with large amounts, you plug in your wallet. You don't really need to explain those things. Yeah, I think. I mean, the hope uh, is that it's a very simple set of process for this hardware wallet. You just tuck it away in a safe or a secure spot, and don't have to really think about it um, for a while. And then your Bitcoin experience in your phone feels like a very simple single sig um, you know, experience. But again, as an end user, you don't have to really think about. Um, multi-sig or keys or anything like that when you're using your, the app on the phone. And if you lost your phone, you can get a new phone and you can restore from the cloud and the hardware. Yeah, the key, I mean, again, this is a product detail to be yeah. decided, but at least in theory, the key that's on the phone could be automatically backed up in the cloud. Um, so you get the benefit of that extra backup. But again, um, with limited uh, security cost, because even if someone accessed that key in the cloud, they'd only have one of the three keys. Sounds like a great product. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's um, I think there's clear opportunity for innovation in the space mm-hmm. to create way better um, non-custodial wallet experiences for for mainstream users, uh, and I think this product could could potentially do that. Um, but just the the general design 
framework. Any anyone could could build that out. So I th- I think it's promising. I think one thing you want to talk about today is like decentralization and maybe what are some of the centralization pressures. Well, certainly one in Bitcoin is if it's too hard to manage your own keys, which it even today it it is too hard for people. Uh-huh that we wind up in a world in which just a few global custodians hold all the keys. And that's unlikely to result in the Bitcoin that we know and love and want to see for the world. So it's very important that a sizable percentage of Bitcoin users are um, you know, controlling their own keys. And we already have large custodians, um, Coinbase, Custody, what, something like a million Bitcoin or something, and we know a lot of other people are. But do we know if better wallets will really change that or these are perhaps institutional buyers who just don't even want to manage their private keys yeah well there's lots of different types of customers of institutional buyers is, is one and they they might be one of the hardest um customers to to convert to non-custodial because they have other consideration i mean first of all they typically have a larger amount of bitcoin but they might have some other like regulatory or yeah. various like policy issues where they need to do that uh use a th- uh, like a verified certified custodian um but there's lots of other types of i mean the, the hope is that people all around the world not just wealthy <laughs> investors uh have bitcoin and use bitcoin and so well here's what i you know here's what i know if the experience is not good enough then very few people are going to do this right it's only like hobbyists and technical people so we have to make the user experience much better for mainstream adoption will will they adopt it then i'm i'm optimistic i think so because i think the question will flip from um why should i do that i'm used to a bank i'm used to trusting someone else so why should i go through this hassle to do it this other way what is the benefit the question will flip to why wouldn't i (laughs) because it's basically just as easy um, and so why that can just become the default experience for a lot of people. So I, I think we'll see that flipping, if you will, flipping, <laughs> in yeah. the future. Um, do you know much about whether, like how Lightning will be integrated? There is wallets such as Blue Wallet, which separates uh, Base Chain and Lightning, but uh, Moon Wallet, which I haven't actually properly used myself, but my understanding is that it uh, it's just one balance and obfuscates what it, which is which. Yeah, like things get really complicated uh, at that point. Um, there's a desire from the block non-custodial wallet team to uh, to support Lightning. Um, Spiral, my team, you know, our our primary project again yeah. is LDK. We work on Lightning all the time, and, and and we don't just work with again. We don't just work with the block wallet team. We work with you know Phoenix and Moon and like all the different Lightning um, wallets and companies in this space. Um, there's a lot of lot of different design, technical design options for how to deliver a Lightning wallet. They all have trade-offs. Um, what Spiral really tries to push for is the most kind of extreme, extreme meaning the the, the hardest to do, um, but one that preserves privacy, that enables mobile phone wallets that don't depend on trusted servers. That's what we're pushing for, and it, it does have the most. Barriers and challenges, um, but but we're optimistic that that can be that can be done. I still don't understand what the moon wallet's doing, because I don't understand how it's making the decision, and you as a user understands what fees you're going to pay. Because whether it moves via Lightning or Base Chain, it's an entirely different set of trade-off on fees. 
Well, you're not alone. I, I, I can't explain it either. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, I could speak to that at a high level and then like Breeze and Phoenix are two other, you know, sort of best in class lightning wallets and best in class in terms of like their user experience is quite good. All three of them at a high level do some type of uh, automatic channel management. So for people not familiar with Lightning Network, your wallet connects to other Lightning nodes in the network and that's how your payments are routed to other people. And so without automatic channel management, you as the user have to like figure out who, which nodes to connect to. You have to set up those connections, manage how much the amount, the liquidity or how much amounts are in each channel. It's a huge burden. If you're If you're like operating a node in the network to try to earn revenue, like a routing node, then it's reasonable to expect that type of hands-on management. If you're just a normal person wanting to like receive some Bitcoin, spend some Bitcoin, then it's that's too much. So Breeze, Phoenix, and Moon all have created much better user experiences that do that for you. I think they all approach it slightly different ways. Um, the the term is Lightning Service Provider. What, what they're you know is what they're doing. And how it's a t- probably a tough question to answer, but how mature or immature is the Lightning Network at the moment? Because um, my experience using Blue Wallet is great, but it's custodial. Um, yeah. Well, it's custodial for now, but Blue Wallet actually was the first um, project to adopt Lightning Development Kit LDK. Really? Yeah, they, they it's not good. No, no. <laughs> so they they've done all the technical work to integrate LDK. They have like an alpha version of Blue Wallet for both iPhone and Android, which did changed their Lightning Wallet from custodial to, to non-custodial. Um, it's not yet uh, available publicly. And, and I, I actually, I don't know exactly the reasons why not yet, but but I think the, the LSP that I mentioned a few minutes ago is uh, might, might be a reason why. They're, they're still trying to figure out plans around that. But um, yeah, I mean, where is Lightning Network overall? I'd still say like alpha stage, like early days, whatever, meta, you know, yep. third inning of a baseball game. Um, it's still really early, but I mean, you can look back at the past three years and see tremendous growth. I mean, Cash App launching with Lightning Network is fantastic. It's it has tens of millions of users, and um, it, it's great to have a big brand and big service supporting Lightning Network. Um, through conversations I've had with many other big companies in the space um, and smaller projects, I think we're just going to see more and more Lightning adoption this year, next year, um, and the network itself will 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 grow and make payments faster the success rate of a payment. I mean, already, I think a few years ago, maybe you'd have a one in four chance of your payment actually going through. And now it's still not where it needs to be, but it's tremendously better. Um, you know, it's it's more like nine times out of 10, uh, the payment goes through. And so, you know, in, in over over time, we're going to get it to 99% and, and, and also fast, um, consistently fast. What are the reasons that payments would fail right now? Is it mainly capacity? Is it is it struggling it's tr- a, struggling to find a route st- yeah so um that's exactly right so struggling to find a route is 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 one um and it's because when you the the route is constructed by the person paying so if i'm paying you my my software on my end has to figure out the route how to get it to you and um what i don't know at the time is what the cap- current capacity levels are of each payment channel to get to you so I only know the total capacity, not the actual balance. And because of that, I can try a route and it might fail because the actual balances aren't, you know, are 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 too small. Um, so learning more about the sort of the real time nature of the network graph is really important to for for payment success. Another big challenge 
um, is on mobile phones. A big technical challenge is receiving money over Lightning Network on mobile phones because to unlike on-chain Bitcoin with Lightning Network, the receiver has to sign the transaction with their private key, which means you know people hear it. You need to be online. Uh, what does that actually mean? Well, if your if your phone's in your pocket, you're you're not online because the way mobile operating systems work, you actually need your wallet app in the foreground. You need to be actively using it as a as a user to receive the payment, um, and it it creates a really bad user experience because you know most people have their phone in their pocket when they might receive money and and they can't actually receive the money then. So how is that solved? I mean. I have an account with OpenNode for my store and I can always receive payments because it goes into my OpenNode wallet and then yeah. I can withdraw to our wallet. Um, is it always going to require that almost like middle man service that's always on? There's a variety of solutions. None of them are like um, perfect or immediate, um, but that's, that's one. Have some kind of middleman who re- receives your payments and I've seen some proposals where you're limiting the trust so that they could only steal the funds you pers- temporarily received. And once you um, come, online. come back online, open your wallet app on your phone, then you can um, then you no longer be at risk of them stealing the funds. That's um, that's probably the most realistic near-term solution. And maybe there's options around using multi-sig for that, so you'd have a multiple entities trying to receive for you, so that they actually need to collude. That's one approach. Um, another is for iOS and Android to change their policies. Like already, they have certain categories of apps, such as voice over IP um, apps, which do um, are guaranteed a certain amount of of um, background tasking on on the phone. So even if your phone's in the pocket, there you know if you call me, it's guaranteed that app's going to get some time on the CPU to actually you know, wake up and, and receive the, the phone call, it would be possible that Bitcoin wallets could, could receive such consideration. So it's, it's not actually like a technical constraint, it's a policy constraint. Okay. And then long term, hopefully Apple, Google, Samsung, big companies like that, um, Bitcoin becomes important enough to their customers that they're forced to modify their, their phones to accommodate a much better Bitcoin wallet and receiving experience. Well, one of the first steps would be to integrate with within their own wallets. Yeah, um, that would be great. <laughs> I mean, there's there's very obvious uh, integration points in like Google Chrome browser and Android OS and iOS and Apple Pay, etc. Um, those feel like medium to long term kind of integrations, but but the the, the sooner the better. Although, it, getting back to the, a theme of centralization, decentralization. I mean, I think we definitely would want them to be doing that, but it's also a little scary. The um, sort of the choke points they represent, both in, with app stores, the OS, and the phones themselves. There's right. Very, okay. very few players in this space. And would they care about decentralization enough? Would they potentially be custodial wallets? Would I mean, they follow best practice? Hard to say. I mean, in as long as general, the app stores allow most apps. I mean, there's certainly examples of where they've, uh, you know, denied apps, but I... No, I mean, if uh, if Apple was to in- integrate Lightning into Apple Pay, would they build their own infrastructure? Oh, I mean, who, who, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of different ways they could go. Um, if they went with the, uh, what they've done with the app store, just their, their own software development kit, they, 
they've tried to promote as many apps as possible on the phone, right? Mill- yeah. Millions of different apps. So hopefully they go with the approach where they're not the one-all be-all wallet, but they would foster innovation and allow dozens or hundreds of different wallets in, in their app store, which that, that seems to be their overall strategy. So I think that's what they do. Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin. And even though they've been with me for a year, I have not sold a single sat with Gemini. I'm only buying. I'm a hodler. But I have been buying Bitcoin with them. Not only have I been buying the dips through Gemini, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. And I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. And Gemini are now running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com forward slash WBD. Next up, it's Level. Now, as the world migrates from traditional walled garden financial rails to Bitcoin, Level has rebuilt its Bitcoin trading app to become the first full suite Bitcoin banking app. The Bitcoin revolution isn't just about investing dollars, it's about replacing them. So, while other apps help you to buy Bitcoin, the Level app lets you use your Bitcoin for daily life. You can get paid in Bitcoin, you can spend Bitcoin anywhere, and you can even earn Bitcoin rewards. All of this is alongside a traditional fiat account, so you can manage your Bitcoin alongside your traditional currencies. Now, Level are reserving 500 beta slots for WBD listeners ready to go all in and bank in Bitcoin. If you want to find out more, head over to level.co forward slash WBD, which is lvl.co forward slash WBD for info and early access. Next up, it's sportsbet.io. The very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. Now, we are over halfway through the season. Liverpool have just picked up their first trophy. Tottenham are struggling as ever. This season is going as planned. But how's it going to finish? Do you know how it's going to finish? Will Liverpool win the title? Will they snatch it away from City? Who's going to win the league? Who's going to win the Champions League? Who knows? Well, anyway, if you want to take a bet, sportsbet.io has got you covered. And not just with football. They cover tennis, motorsports, US sports. They even cover esports. And for new customers, there's always a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions. That is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. Also today, we have Compass Mining. And they are not just a sponsor. I am a customer of Compass Mining. I am mining with Compass Mining. Now, I've been doing this for about... Wow, what is it, like four months now? And I've mined over half a Bitcoin with them. It's pretty cool. It's very cool, actually. I love the fact that I'm back mining. And I also love the way Compass does this. They've made mining accessible to everyone. And as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was so easy to get onboarded. And now anyone can mine Bitcoin. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility, and they do all the rest of the work for you. Now, if you are interested in mining or if you want to find out more, then please head over to compassmining.io. That is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G.io. 
Do you think it's in- inevitable that Apple and or Google moves into accepting Bitcoin as a means of payment? Well, I believe in Bitcoin long term, so I think yeah, yes, yeah, it's yeah. inevitable. Um, I you know I worked at Google for nine years and um, know the company well, know, know a lot of folks there still. Um, th- there's recent interest in Web three blockchain stuff at Google, um, yeah. But, but yeah, <laughs> um, hopefully that that uh, helps seed some uh, interest in, in in Bitcoin as well. Uh, that reminds me. Let me just go back a step because you brought up NFTs. Yeah. Uh, years ago I interviewed Fluffy Pony and I said to him there are Bitcoin maxis and then there are Bitcoin maxis but Monero's okay we seem to have that with NFTs as well some Bitcoiners are like they're cool with it it's okay some people are like it's fucking gross uh, I feel a little bit in the middle Steve I feel like uh, there's some cool stuff that can probably be done with them but it's a wash with lots of stupidity and endless different series of jpegs which i i understand nothing about but there does seem to be some interesting things that can be done with nfts in terms of i don't know tickets to events that you could easily like if i had a console i was going to tonight and i couldn't go and i could send you the nft and you could go and there's also some ideas around uh multiple people attached to an nft so payments can be split Uh, i'm not immediately writing off nfts i'm ignoring the whole board apes and yacht and yellow bananas or whatever <laughs> stupid sets come in but i am open to the idea there's some cool stuff that can be done with nfts what what is your interest in that area yeah um you're putting me on the hot, hot spot here yeah uh, I, no i'm i'm uh i'm not a hater at all of nfts i've actually i mean quick quick context of how i got into the space 2013 i i read the white bitcoin white paper sort of got it to that degree but didn't really get into the space yet um Fast forward four years to 2017, I'd already quit Google, didn't have a job, so I had a lot of time on my hands. Uh, interestingly, Ethereum brought me into the fold. I didn't I, know that. Yeah, sort of the, I mean, I don't know, the, I guess the the Silicon Valley techie guy in yeah, me, yeah. like, you know, the uh, world supercomputer or whatever, like, um, was attractive to me. Uh, but then I spent 2017 studying Bitcoin and Ethereum and many, many, many other projects and, and coins. And I, I emerged from that like with deep conviction on Bitcoin that I didn't have previously and just a better understanding of money and a lot of things that people who go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole do. I went through that in 2017 and I just, I didn't, <clears throat> and, and so part of that uh, exploration, even in 2017, NFTs and DAOs were, were, were in DeFi were all concepts and being talked about. Um, I think all of them, uh, and also including like giving sort of giving users their data back, which I guess maybe is part of the one of the Web three themes. Um, so instead of storing it with Google and big cloud companies, <clears throat> um, you control your data. I agree with, or I think they're all interesting concepts, and I think people's lives would be better in the future if they all come to fruition and actually can be realized. Um, so that's never changed. I just personally focused on Bitcoin because I thought that was like by far the most impactful thing compared to any of these other cryptocurrency projects, like a thousand X more important for the world. Um, and I also, I'm very driven by make, making Bitcoin a great currency people can use. If I, I completely believe in the store value narrative, digital gold, um, but if that's all I believed in, I would just be an investor and then move on and work on other things in my life. But I think the, you know, actually delivering peer-to-peer money 
as stated in the original white paper, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm driven by that. So I'm really excited uh, that I have this opportunity at Spiral and Block because that, that's consistent with what the, um, the organization believes as well. Um, so yeah, so I, I think I think NFTs are interesting. Um, I'm mainly skeptical about a lot of the underlying platforms supporting them. I also have to question how much decentralization is really needed for NFTs. Most NFTs are tied to some kind of real world concept, either it be it something physical like real estate or copyright or some legal concept we have. Um, so it's not this like like Bitcoin's beautiful because it's fully described within the protocol and ha- doesn't need to be tied to anything in the real world where NFTs often do. So um, I kind of feel like a less decentralized solution would be better for NFTs. And then you wouldn't be paying $200 gas fees for, to mint your NFT either, which, because, which would make it more accessible to people. Like $200 gas fees for an NFT is the opposite of economic empowerment for, uh, for people. Because if you are creating the new best form of money, uh, which essentially is routing around government money, it's important to be decentralized because you're taking power away from the state and therefore it's a threat to the state. They might, might want to switch it off. But if you're creating NFTs, they aren't really a threat to the state. We're not routing around anything. What we're actually doing is just creating useful technology. Uh, and one of the useful things about that technology is there's an asset that can move digitally from one person to another. Therefore, it's really about how you move those assets because a record in an SQL database isn't the same as owning something within a wallet. I think so. I mean, I guess what I feel strongly about is Bitcoin does need extreme levels of decentralization and security um, because of what it's proposing. It's trying to be a new form of money, which there's not that many forms of money, and and it's super exciting new form of money. Uh, NFTs, it's more of I have a question. I I questioned, you know, do they need Bitcoin or even Ethereum level of decentralization? Um, Maybe. And also NFT, there's lots of different types of NFTs, maybe some need more than others. And so maybe there are like different smart contract platforms that can each be successful with different use cases. Who, who knows? But for my own time and Spiral's time, we yeah. focus on Bitcoin because we just think it's a much bigger idea. Um, and that's not to disparage other use cases and other projects. It's just this Bitcoin is a unique event in our life, I think. A unique event in our life. <laughs> a very. I've got a bit of a question here. Sure. Um, you said that you when you got into this space it was through Ethereum. Uh, you then landed on Bitcoin. But what I want to know is like in Silicon Valley, it seems that everyone always goes to the shit coins first, and and like you see that now with like Avalanche and Solana and all that sort of stuff. Why do you think that is? Why don't you think people end up in with Bitcoin in Silicon Valley? Why don't? Why did they start with other coins, well, or why they, did they not end up? With well, they coins? seem to start with other coins and stay with other coins, yeah. <laughs> or start with Bitcoin and end up at other coins. <laughs> um, so, I mean, yeah, Dan held on your show and he yep. spoke to this. I, I agree with. Every, I listened to that whole um, or one or two episodes he had and agree with everything he said. Um, that matches my. I've been I've been here twenty years in the Bay Area, so um, that matches my experience. Um, there's there's all yeah. I think there's just pattern matching you develop in the Bay Area and in big tech companies and venture capital firms and entrepreneurs pattern matching of like innovation and moving fast and 
break shit. And and um, it's just a, the opposite of almost everything Bitcoin is. Um, also, there is no pattern matching for us in terms of inventing a new form of money because that only happens like that happens on like century scales, not every few years, like the typical t- tech cycle. Um, so I don't I don't think the the wisdom and experience of people in big tech. Um, doesn't completely apply to Bitcoin because they're not used to, there is no pattern matching for them on this new form of money. So there, there's less um, emphasis on like the credibility of the monetary policy and more of the economics and finance side of uh, Bitcoin versus innovation and tech side. I love that idea though, this like unique event in our lifetime or a unique event in multiple generations that feel very lucky to work on this. I mean, mine's just asking questions. You're getting in there building that, but it's almost like, it sounds like you feel like honored or lucky or just. I do. I mean, a lot of, I mean, some of my friends wonder why I don't get into Web3, DeFi, other, you start my own coin or whatever, but. um, Go work for Chris Dixon. (laughs) I'm, uh, I I do, yeah, I feel, I feel honored to be able to work on something that I truly think is going to impact billions of people eventually and be really positive in their life. And so I don't get caught up in the daily price movements and, um, you know, I'm, I'm more, I'm focused on. How do you know? I, I'm I'm on the technical side of things, so I'm focused on like how do we improve the software and the design user experiences. But really, any anything um, around Bitcoin, how do we make it more accessible to more people? And Danny and I on, have this ongoing debate that's been going on for three years now uh, about the name of the show because it's a strong brand. What Bitcoin did, it's a really strong brand. Um, but many a times we've thought of just changing the name just to my name, not as an ego thing, but as a trying to reach out to wider guests and talk about wider topics um, and sometimes we make the decision to do it and usually within a week we reverse that decision because we feel like if Bitcoin delivers the promise that we hope it does that we would be foolish to give up that position at the front of the forefront of this thing and get to talk to other people but what's been really interesting in this last two weeks is that Another reason we've thought about it is I was like, can I really make another 150 shows this year about Bitcoin? <laughs> like, have we not discovered, have we not talked about everything? But actually, there's all these new ideas that are coming out, all these, what I would call unintended consequences from Satoshi that are super fascinating, fascinating to talk about. We just uh, interviewed someone called Troy Cross. I don't know if you know Troy, but he's a philosopher and he wanted to talk about uh, the environmental impact of Bitcoin and how you as an individual could reduce that. And it was like, okay, it's kind of interesting. And his idea was, if you look at uh, the, the cost, the cost of Bitcoin is maintenance. Bitcoin has its price because you hodl it. And therefore, if you're hodling a certain amount of Bitcoin, uh, if you were to mine that uh, percentage and you were to choose, uh, say, greener mining options, that would uh, help trend Bitcoin mining to a greener position. It's like, okay, sounds kind of interesting. But what came out of this was he said, what you actually do here is you flip the narrative. You flip ESG because what you're actually saying is when somebody like Senator Warren says Bitcoin is bad for the environment, you actually flip it and you say, by mining more Bitcoin, I actually want to increase mining. It's better for the environment because if more people, if we're pushing people to offset via green Bitcoin mining, you can actually 
offset via mining, which will lead to infrastructure and build out of more um, renewable energy sources. Right. You don't have to. You don't have to have a response on that. You might do, but the, but the the idea that Bitcoin mining makes the it's actually environmentally friendly. It can be with gas flaring and supporting the infrastructure for greener energy. It's just like this whole unintended consequence that's come out of mining. And for us, it's like, shit, this thing just keeps getting bigger. Yeah. No, I mean, I fully agree with Bitcoin mining being um, uh, friendly to the environment versus uh, a, a negative. I, I really think it's the opposite of what the current narrative is. Um, and, and that's maybe a good segue. We can talk a little bit about yes. um, block getting in, into mining and what, what, what the potential what the potential there is please is it is it asic development is it as simple as that um i think it's a bit bigger than that um, okay i mean so let, let's sort of break it down um i think one concern in mining today is that there's only a couple big manufacturers of bitcoin asics yeah um, the, the, the the chips themselves um they're concentrated in the same country so there's like geographic risk there's risk that there's only two companies um so in terms of like centralization risks and pressures, that, that's one area that's alarming. So anyone in the world that comes along and produces their own, you know, designs and produces their own ASIC chips is a good thing, healthy thing for, for Bitcoin. Um, just have more competition. So um, Block has announced that it's um, do, doing its own chip, um, but also Blockstream has. Chip? Uh, yeah, or, its, or, own, its own mining chip. I'll get to other okay. potential things yeah, yeah, too, yeah. but like one thing, and, and actually most people probably don't know, um, I mean, most big tech companies are just software companies, but Block from its beginning has always made hardware. I mean, the original company had a little, you know, credit card reader that you yep. plug into your phone, right? And then yep. obviously, you know, tens of millions of payment terminals have been, been um, produced and sold. So the, the company knows hardware and the company knows ASICs. Uh, for over six years, the company has custom designed their own ASICs. And so... Huh? That that go in their pay, payment terminals. So so Block already Square okay, yeah, yeah. already has a team of ASIC experts and designers. So this is, this didn't come out of left field. Hold on, you're gonna have to go back a second because some people will assume associate the term ASIC as a Bitcoin specific term specific to Bitcoin miners. That's clearly clearly not the yeah. case. So it stands for application specific integrated circuit. It's really just if if you have. Like what the the kind of computer computers that are in your phone or your laptop are general CPUs, central processing units that can handle all kinds of different applications. If you have one particular application that you only care about and you really want to hyper optimize, you can create um, silicon that only does that, but does it really as efficiently as as possible. And that's what ASICs are for Bitcoin mining. Um, the SHA two fifty six algorithm, which is Part of the protocol for mining, um, that's what that's what Bitcoin mining ASICs are. But ASICs is a general term. That makes it more interesting because I didn't, it, I hadn't made the link between the square terminals and the ability or the team and the understanding and the background to be able to make the chips. Yeah. So this wasn't just like you know, it's not just because Jack likes Bitcoin. We're going to do it. We actually have experts at the company who have a long track record creating. Basic chips and all, you know relationships with foundries and just knowing how to how to build hardware. So part of this is creating chips, but it's not just Block. Like Blockstream announced a yep. chip. Um, didn't, a report, didn't they buy a company? They, I think they bought. Um, uh, yeah, I can't remember. It's an Israeli company. Sp yeah, Spoon Dooley's or something like that. Spoon Dooley. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how to I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, and then it's reported that Intel is creating 
um, a, a mining chip as well. So all of this is good news. Like, yeah. You know, the, the more companies producing chips, the better. Now the the vision for the block mining effort, not just to um, build chips, but actually create an open ecosystem for mining. And I think this is actually the big idea because the existing chip makers, they don't even sell their chip. They put their chip in their own mining rig designs and then they sell the mining rigs. Um, that's very limiting because there's a lot, I've spoken to many companies in the mining space who know their customers really well. They have certain application ideas of mining rigs, but they can't, and they, and they know how they want to design a mining rig but they can't do it because they can't, there's no supplier of chips. They can only take these off the shelf sort of closed um, mining rigs. So by, um, so Block intends to sell the mining chips directly um, and presumably, or I, I, I don't know about Intel and Blockstream and others, but hopefully, you know, there's more suppliers of chips that will sell the chips directly and that's gonna help the entire ecosystem out and provide um, data sheets uh, which, which really provides information that describes the chip. A current problem in the space, um, there's a company called Brains who yep. you know, works on really smart firmware to make the, the, the mining rigs uh, higher performance. They have to reverse engineer um, the chips from Bitmain and other manufacturers because there's no open data sheet. So they're constantly trying to like figure out how those chips work when they change because it breaks their firmware. It's not the makings of a really, if, you know, growing ecosystem. That's the makings of just one or two companies sort of owning the space. So I think by having an open ecosystem where you sell the chips, you have open data sheets, you, any kind of um, mining rig designed to have all the other components that go into a mining rig, if those are open and shared, I think that's going to foster, you know, ho hopefully this isn't just a great business for Block, but it produces dozens or hundreds of other startups and other companies that can flourish. Fascinating. So my assumption was that you guys would be producing the the entire unit similar to Bitmain. I'd be buying the block A6 or whatever, and I would plug that in and start mining. But that would take us from two to three, Yeah. Um, whereas well, this the, takes us two to potentially hundreds. There's, um, there's also interest from block to produce mining rigs themselves. Fine. But yeah. if you're selling the but chips... But in addition, yeah. So, so I'd say success is not Block producing a mining rig and only doing that and selling it well. Yeah, the success would be not only Block doing that, but dozens or hundreds of other companies as well. Yeah, that that would massively increase the decentralization of mining rig, mining rigs. A absolutely, there'd be um, there'd be more suppliers. There'd be more choice. Um, there'd be more competition. There'd be more competition. There'd be more types of. Um, mining and and the most extreme version which we should talk about is like home home mining yeah well yeah <laughs> that's the dream but right? that's the goal right that that's the long-term dream and i'm actually now i'm completely convinced it is going to happen uh, over over you know on like a eight plus year time frame but before we move on to that can i just ask a question yeah uh, where will the chips be manufactured do you know that yet because um, that seems also like some yeah i don't know that but there's a i can say there's a recognition of the risk of of geographic risk. Mm -hmm. So hopefully the answer is that it's not dependent on, on one particular country or at least one country, China, that's currently manufacturing all the other chips. Yeah. So um, that's that's a priority for, for the project and, and, and the team. Cool. But um, 
I, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly, there's challenges to, to do that, um, and have high quality and availability and, um, still low cost. So there's a lot of, a lot of variables when producing hardware, but that's definitely a priority. Where are Square's chips? Do we know where them are they all manufactured out of China or do, do they yeah. use foundries here? I'm, I don't work on that team. So, so I don't, you don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I may know, but I don't know if, I don't know if it's public. Information. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's but fair. I mean, it's not a surprise. Like there's, I mean, so actually speaking of centralization risks, so there's only a couple ASIC manufacturers, but there's also just a few foundries around the world as well. Yeah. Um, and I was told it takes like 10 years to build a foundry. It takes a long time and a lot of money. Um, I mean, the good news is that there, there's a lot of recent announcements for US based foundries, yeah. uh, Intel, TSMC, et cetera. Um, that's, that's great news. Um, and, um, at just, a time where Chinese jets are circling Taiwan, I think, uh, that's not surprising yeah required and necessary that's that's a huge concern (laughs) yeah that's fascinating that like that's completely opened up what uh block is doing here that i was completely unaware of and uh yeah that's fascinating and and i can say from dozens of conversations with um people who know a lot more about mining than me that are in the space been doing it for years they're very excited about this open ecosystem i think it'll be great for their businesses um so i think i think it's going to be a win for 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 bitcoin um decentralization but a win for a lot of the companies in this space as well do we know what's kind of timeline so we're talking about here um I mean, it's not going to happen like next month. Yeah. Uh, you know, to, to design and create, manufacture a new chip is on the scale of like a few years. Um, so, yeah. It, okay. I, I, I doubt I doubt there's going to be, you know, something, uh, you know, th- this year. But but it's definitely it's it's funded. Yep. We're hiring um, for that for that team and uh, and and hopefully they 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 execute. And and just also fascinating that Intel are looking at this. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I, I, getting back to the home, home mining, yeah. I, mean, I mean, even before getting there, um, you brought up ESG and environment uh, a, f- a few minutes ago. Um, I'm now convinced that uh, like solar and wind can be effective sources of energy for mining, whereas previously I didn't have the strongest answer and I didn't, wasn't really hearing from anyone else either because of the economics. Because if you, if you have energy sources, even if they're cheap, or even like literally, you know, if they're if they cost zero, if it costs you nothing, it's just surplus energy. Um, if it's only available, say like thirty or forty percent of the time, you, you're competing against twenty four seven global miners. So if you can only mine forty percent of the time, and competing against people who buy the same equipment as you, how do you how do you you're going to get competed out? I mean, in, in today's mining environment, the profit margins are so large that you, you could plug it in the wall here and. San Francisco and still probably profit, but at equilibrium, the total profits converge towards zero. Yeah. So how does it work out economically? So the big unlock uh, for me, and I think a few others um, recently this or the, or this past fall, is if you think about um, large twenty four seven industrial miners, they buy the latest and greatest equipment, and then after some period of time, let's say three, four, five years, um, that equipment is no longer economic for them. So what do they do with it? Well, if there's no other market or no other type of miner, they would throw it away. Or they basically have e-waste. They might even have to pay money to get rid of the equipment. So at the very least, it would be zero dollars. It might even be negative dollars. They might even pay someone to take the equipment. Let's say you have a large solar farm or wind farm. If your energy surplus energy costs are zero 
and you have you can get old mining equipment, even if it's not the latest and greatest and most efficient, and get it for zero dollars or even negative dollars, you're going to be able to compete then with twenty four seven miners because you have no investment. <laughs> your your only costs are the, the relatively minor operational costs. The two big cost factors would be zero energy and the capex for the equipment. So clearly, a market will develop for that equipment. It won't be zero dollars. People will pay for it, and the people though will be a diff- they'll be intermittent energy sources such as solar and wind farms. And then you can take that down to the scale of an individual home where you might have solar panels at home. And you know, I have solar panels in my home here in California, and currently PG&E I think is forced by the government to pay me money to take my excess energy, but put it into the but, grid. And but I don't, they don't even need it for the grid. Because when when I'm when I'm producing a surplus, like you know, at noon or one p.m., everyone is. Everyone is. And, yeah. And no, and the demand that's that doesn't match the demand. The demand is at five p.m., six p.m., seven p.m., eight p.m. Um, so they're only paying me because the government's forcing them to. That, that's not a sustainable solution. So as the you know as the market forces prevail. There'll be a bunch of solar owners that have excess energy and they'll have no use for it. If they can imagine a mining box that, um, you know, addresses noise factors, addresses heat factors, maybe even turns the heat produced into something productive at home, heating your swimming pool or your home or something like that, um, and is turnkey. You just plug in and it works. And it's using not the latest generation mining chip, but actually maybe four years old. But is sold at a much lower price point. Then you have, then it's economically vi- uh, viable, and you'll be able to get a payback period that's realistic for that equipment. That's fascinating. So I, I do think that's going to happen in like, you know, the next decade, all the way to the, the the home miner. And the manufacturers of the solar panels that go on the roofs may be incentivized to build this into their business. Yeah, you can imagine all kinds of distribution yeah. paths and different like companies that. Again, you mentioned earlier about Bitcoin touching on new, more and more things over time. Already, we're seeing how it touches on public utilities and energy companies. But yeah, all of a sudden, like totally different companies will be incentivized to integrate this. It could be part of their part of their business model. Another exciting thing about that. So, so there's the the potential to improve decentralization of the ASIC chips, the mining rigs, um, the number of people mining. I mean, imagine that world where millions, tens of millions, like 100 million people around the world who have off the grid solar and they are mining. That's that's a beautiful world. Um, well, it adds to the conversation we had with Troy. Definitely. And and um, so there's the hardware side, but there's also the software side. So today we have um, mining pools and yep. miners and the mining pools are the ones that run the Bitcoin core, you know, full nodes. They're the, 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 the pools are the ones that select transactions. One thing that drives me nuts about the term mining and what most people new to Bitcoin think of mining is that it's only intended to like create new Bitcoin. Like you, you're digging and mining Bitcoin, but the primary purpose of mining and the one that will last forever is transaction selection yeah. <laughs> and, and and actually f- basically fulfilling the duties of a central bank, like um, you know providing settlement and and, and transactions. Um, mining, you know, minting of new Bitcoin is super important as well, and that's a critical part. But it, but it goes away over time. The, the The problem with mining today is that the only actors in the ecosystem that can select transactions are these handful of mining pools. So that is a form of centralization. We haven't seen any problems with it to date, but it could potentially be a problem, either collusion or government intervention or even a hacker. I mean, a hacker could hack into like three or four pools 
and be able to, um, you know, sense our transactions. So um, a change that Matt Carallo on my team worked with some folks at Slushpool on, Matt, Matt came up with Better Hash several yep. years ago. Yep. Um, and then the, the folks at Slushpool uh, came up with Stratum V2. They sort of put their heads together, came up with something they, they all like, and spirals funding development of Stratum V2. So Slushpool has like their own implementation. We're funding um, an open source version that's independent of Slushpool and can work for any any pool or any miner in the space. And I think that's super powerful because the, the two key attributes of it, it improves security of the... So the, so the Stratum mining protocol is the the uh, interface between pools and miners. And um, Stratum V2 improves security of that and decentralization because it allows miners to do transaction selection and run a Bitcoin Core full node. So if we fast forward to this future in 10 years where everyone's mining at home, you'll actually be able to participate in transaction selection as well. And, and any kind of future debate or um, war over you know um, changes to, to Bitcoin anyone doing home mining would be able to participate in that by choosing which software, uh, which version of Bitcoin they're running. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to embarrass you in a bit. Um, somebody told me recently, they said, Steve Lee is the most important person in Bitcoin. Uh, tr truthfully, somebody told me that the other day. I was like, really? I mean, it's, Steve's a great guy, but tell me more. And they said, he is in the middle of all the most exciting developments happening in Bitcoin right now, all the projects within the infrastructure, he's right in the middle. I mean, you'd probably be embarrassed by somebody telling me that. <laughs> but it is. These are fascinating. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I do work hard, um, and I think I have the right attitude and spirit for, for Bitcoin. Um, so hopefully that... that uh, I, I joke with friends about when we see other long-time Bitcoiners sort of introduce their own coin or shill some other coin or whatever. I'm always like, when, when's the day that's going to happen to the rest Steve, of us? But, you're not but I, do I, that. I, I don't think I'll do that. I, th I think for some people, if it hasn't happened, it wouldn't happen. Like we, we've had our chance. We could have done WBD coin or whatever, like some other podcasts did and made, made loads of money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do. And I respect you guys for that, for staying true to it for four years now or however long well, it's been. We don't so. need to. We're, like, we're very fortunate to get to do this to sit down with people like yourself and Troy earlier. We're, we're super fortunate. We don't want to fuck that up. Um, okay, tell me about uh, TBD. I was about to say, tell me about WBD. Tell me about <laughs> TBD. Um, so it's a new business unit announced last summer. Mike, Mike Brock runs it, who's been at Square for a long time, or I guess now Block. Um, it is... It's a little bit TBD. Uh, I know. What it's gonna do. I mean, I'll speak to what they they have announced and published. I mean, they published a white paper. I think it was November timeframe um, for a a decentralized exchange, but different than what sort of the the topic du jour is for for dexes. It's not like Uniswap or, or those types of dexes, which which um, popular dexes today are just for cryptocurrency tokens to exchange between each other. But they don't handle fiat to crypto or or back. And um, the intention of the white paper that TBD published is actually the bridge between fiat world and Bitcoin and, and other cryptocurrencies. Um, and and trying to uh, you know trying to make it better, both improve decentralization, so that you don't have to that, that the only 
um, solutions are not just regu- heavily regulated companies like Coinbase and 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 Block, um, but also make it better for wallet developers. Like imagine a Phoenix or Moon or Breeze wallet that you can download and you can actually acquire Bitcoin within the wallet itself. And and some wallets do that. And 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 there's what is it MoonPay and there, there's several different startups that are doing I think quite well by facilitating that. But that's a single solution that gets tightly integrated into that wallet. The idea with um, TBDEX, which is the, the, the name of that um, protocol that was published, is that there could be an infinite number of liquidity providers that connect to your wallet. So as a, as a user, you would download a wallet and out of the box be able to buy Bitcoin and be able to select from different providers. Some of those providers might be very large companies like banks and Coinbase's and blocks of the world. It could be smaller startups from random places around the earth, um, and it could be individuals. It could be it could run the gamut. Part of that protocol does have like identity and KYC aspects, but the KYC is it's a variable. So if you're an American institution that's being regulated, I mean you're obligated to collect a certain amount of information. The protocol will support that, but it doesn't require it. So if you're willing to provide liquidity with no KYC, the protocol allows for that. Depending on which jurisdiction you're in, that may or may not be illegal. Even if it's legal, you still have to deal with fraud and other risks. Um, but at least the protocol is sort of like neutral towards that and hopefully allows lot, you know, the free market to flourish. And how is the fiat represented in that DEX? Will it require a stable coin? TBD. TBD. <laughs> I actually don't know the answer. Yeah, because um, that's the only bit I don't understand about this. Yeah, so I think um, I think it's so I think the promise of that's super exciting. The exact details are still being worked out. I think, um, and I don't really know, you know, what what the the timeframes are, and even the the group itself. Um, I mean, obviously they can be successful with that. That alone is tremendously powerful and important for the whole ecosystem. Um, but you know, there's enough latitude to that group that they can do other other things as well around. It's fascinating. Around it, space. It, it feels like all the key aspects of what bring together the Bitcoin experience and make Bitcoin work from mining to wallets to acquiring uh, to to supporting the development you guys are involved in everything now you've got a you've got an idea or a way of supporting that's fascinating it's I think the work's incredible I really do and and I I'm really excited to see where we are in four years you and I sat here in four years time having this conversation perhaps we're looking at the wallet and we're looking at a chip and we're able to use the decks and just like see how much further this has taken us. And also I, I wonder what other companies will start to look at this group of companies and see, well, hold on a second. We need to be in there. We need to be doing something similar. It's, it's fascinating. Well, I, I do hope, well, I hope that um, my group spiral uh, inspires other large companies to invest in open source and, and sort of, copy what we're doing because there's both near-term and long-term benefits to doing so. And I think we've made that pretty, I mean, there's the evidence is there that, that it's been really successful for Block. Um, and then as far as what Block's doing and the strategy around Bitcoin, I would love to see that adopted by Stripe and Facebook and Google and lots of other big tech companies. It's um, it's a big hurdle, I think, as a big company to overcome that and sort of see the, see the vision. But but hopefully, hopefully, Block continues to be successful with that, 
and it becomes more and more obvious to, to other companies. Yeah, I, I've got a feeling Facebook is going to go more down the, I hate to say Web3, Web3 route. Um, it, just, it just feels like that's what the metaverse will do. Um, and maybe it will support sats. But um, Google, I've got no idea. Um, Stripe, it makes sense for them to be considering Bitcoin. They're a payments company. Yep. I mean, we've just launched a, a store and we, we're we taking payments in Bitcoin and Fiat. And it's only natural for us. And the number of companies are going to do that is only going to increase. Yep. Um, but yeah, fascinating. Great work, Steve. Um, did we miss any part apart from Maya Satoshi? I think this is good for an episode. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, if people want to find out more about Spiral, maybe they want to come and work with you, where where should they go? Yeah. So our website is spiral, S-P-I-R-A-L uh, dot X-Y-Z. And from there, you can learn about our team, our projects. Um, we fund, we, we didn't really talk too much about Spiral, but we, we fund over two dozen developers in the space with, wow. with grants, plus the full-time team I mentioned earlier. So we, we fund a, lo- a lot of great work. So yeah, come to our website, see what wh- who, who we fund, what we do, and you can apply both for um, a, a full-time job working on the LDK or uh, for a grant which gives you more um, options to work on other parts of Bitcoin as well. Do you, you funding, is it CoinSwap? Uh, we are. Yeah. yeah. So we, yeah. we were the, I think we're the only funders of the CoinSwap project by Chris Belcher. Um, we fund four Bitcoin core developers. We fund the BDK, Bitcoin Development Kit. We initiated and fund the um, Bitcoin design community. Um, we fund several of their lightning infrastructure projects, mempool.space. We, we fund a lot of great, and I'm, Apologize, I'm missing a few too, a uh, few others too that we we've on. Oh, summer of Bitcoin, which is super exciting. I I don't know if someone's talked about that on your no, show before, but no. um, summer of Bitcoin. So I'd say the biggest bottleneck to getting developers working on Bitcoin is not money. Um, I mean, money's always welcome, but it's not money. It's actually finding talent who who has an idea what they want to work on Bitcoin. Summer of Bitcoin is a program started by a gentleman in India who um, last year reached out to five Indian universities and said, hey, do you want an internship working on an open source Bitcoin project? And they got like three or 4,000 applicants, like overwhelming response. And so this guy and some folks at Chaincode Labs worked together to sift through all those applications, came up with, I think it was like a little over 50 interns. Um, and then Spiral funded both that person who was leading it and a, a small like $2,500 stipend for the students. And they got mapped, mapped or matched up with um like a dozen or so open source projects, like you know L and D and 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 Bitcoin Core and many other projects, and did some great work. This year they're going global, they're going bigger, they're, they'll have they'll have more interns. It's not just India but global, and I think it's phenomenal to get um, people's feet wet in in the space. Amazing. Well, listen, this is just incredible. Um, if you want to ever come back on and talk about these projects, you can, or if anyone within the team wants to come and talk about like like who's running one of these divisions uh you have uh, open use of this platform to talk about it i'm glad we finally did this steve it's been uh, long overdue and i appreciate your time thanks so much peter thanks for coming on all right thanks for listening to what bitcoin did if you want to get in touch the best thing you can do is head over to my telegram channel or you can hit me up on my email which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com